Welcome to School of Everything Else. Watership Down. It's a beautiful day. All is calm and peaceful in the meadow. Or is it? If you look closely, very closely, you'll discover a whole new world with a world of difference, full of exciting adventure and desperate conflict. We've got to go away from the Warren, all of us. Go away? Yes, before it's too late. Is there something wrong? What's he on about? They're coming. A world of ruthless tyranny and brave rebellion. I'll settle with you myself, bigwig. Come on and try, you crack-brained slave driver. A world of incredible courage and mortal fear. A terrible thing is coming. What do you mean? The field. It's covered with blood. A world which bears a very curious resemblance to our own so-called human world in many ways. You're all under arrest. What do you mean? What for? Spreading dissension, inciting to mutiny. Watership Down, the best-selling novel, which has been magically transformed into the most unusual and provocative film you're ever likely to see. What are you doing out there? I've come to let you out. Will you come with us? We're all right here. Yes. There he goes. into another world and you'll never look at a meadow again without remembering Watership Down. Another commissioned show, this one from Jameis Enright. And I can assure you guys that we would never have covered this film in a hundred years of podcasting unless during those 100 years no new films emerged. I think we've had enough in the past... 120 or so years worth of cinema to keep us going for the next century. Um, It's not that this film is bad, it's that we have so many mixed feelings about it, and so many of them are negative, and so few of them are uh, are strong in terms of how we can apply this to discussion, and couple that with the fact that most people who have seen it possess a certain reverence due to its place in their childhood that it's frankly too tricky to cover in that we don't care about it enough to talk about it at length. So, the gauntlet has been thrown down, and we are challenged to give it an honest appraisal, and you can thank Jameis for making this happen, because otherwise it literally wouldn't and couldn't have. Brits will know of it a lot more than Americans. Those in their 40s and mid to late 30s will know of it more than the younger crowd, and animation aficionados will also be more likely to have a familiarity. It's a very independently spirited 1978 British animated film based on the 1972 book by Richard Adams. Directed, written and produced by Martin Rosen, originally semi-directed by John Hubley, who unfortunately died in 1977, so Rosen basically picked this up and ran with the project. You can see some of Hubley's work uh, primarily in the Fable intro, all that stuff where it's very simplified uh, and stylized. 
once it kicks into the uh, far more realistic main body of the film, that's uh, that, that's all uh, Martin Rosen. Uh, it stars a large amount of old men for its cast, each of them playing anthropomorphic rabbits who live in rural England. They are humanised in that they speak to one another and occasionally gesture like humans and possess certain customs and spiritual beliefs which parallel with our own. Uh, if you want to. But otherwise, we are looking at two dozen, real as can be, rabbits. And the most prominent and memorable voice actors are, of course, the late, great John Hurt and Richard Briers, as, respectively, Hazel and Fiverr, his brother. And this is the story of how they get from the warren they live in, which becomes endangered by human development, all the way across the countryside to the titular Watership Down, something they achieve in the end of Act 2, and then they have to fight for continued survival throughout the whole of Act 3. Ordinarily, I would say watch the film before listening to us, but it may prove arresting or upsetting, especially if you love animals and don't like to see them in pain. So I'm going to say uh, proceed with caution or listen to us first. Yeah? So it's it's a warning, if you will, uh, because this is also, to all intents and purposes, a bunny horror movie. And uh, everybody who's seen it and is uh, nodding their heads right now, you'll agree with me. I was going to say a bunny snuff film, but they don't actually kill real rabbits, though it damn well feels like it sometimes. Mm, well, the uh, the animation looks so rotoscoped at times that it, it yeah. did occasionally look a bit like, wow, that's too real. They went for a um, a painterly style of uh, sort of rendering uh, the English countryside. Um, uh, you may have heard the song Bright Eyes by Art Garfunkel, but not necessarily tied it up with this film. It, it According to Wikipedia, it briefly features in the uh, movie. Now, I would say it briefly features in the movie in the way that Wise Up briefly features in Magnolia. It is the centerpiece of the movie. It's the basis for an entire visual sequence. Yeah, but not just... A, a visual sequence, a haunting visual sequence mm. that will stick with you, especially if you're a kid. Um, and specifically, it's a sequence to do with death, which um, this film has plenty of in other capacities, but it's one of the only deaths that feels more spiritual and less just harsh and brutal and um, like just a, a practical sense of one is alive or one is wounded to the point of not being alive. Mm. Well, it's, I think it's the difference between um, the concept of a natural death when you've reached the end of your life. And an accidental death or murder. And a violent death. Which, obviously, as wild animals, they are subject to quite a lot. So, as I said, the title refers to the rabbit's destination of Watership Down, which is a hill in the north of Hampshire, England. This is from your Wikipedia. Uh, north of Hampshire, England. It's a real hill uh, near the area where Adams grew up. The story began as tales that Richard Adams told to his young daughters, Juliet and Rosamond, during their long car journeys. As he explained in 2007, uh, he began telling the story of uh, the rabbits improvised off the top of his head as they were driving along. The daughters insisted that he write it down. They were very, very persistent. After some delay, he began writing in the evenings and completed it 18 months later. The book is dedicated to the two girls. I'm trying to work out what voice I should give to... um uh, Richard Adams. It can't be Ian McKellen. I can't imagine Ian McKellen being this emotionally closed off. Um, no. Even do when you, he plays villains. Do you know what J.R.R. Tolkien sounds like? Because that's how I kind of imagine Richard Adams talking. Yeah. yeah similarly. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come to it, I'm sure, at, at some point. Um, the, the problem is, of course, that you can't really get to be a, um, a really fantastic... 
uh, old actor, well-renowned for your um, uh, performances, unless you possess that certain level of emotional engagement with the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I suppose I could, I could read him like Joss Ackland. You could. I hate them. I hate the robot versions of them. Mm. Uh, who happens to feature in this film? Oh, um, just in case you didn't know, uh, Richard Adams died last December. Oh yeah, no, I was I was fairly certain that Richard Adams would have uh, shuffled off this mortal coil at some point in the past few years. But um, yeah, I'm not going to say. Uh, let's see, I'm not going to say anything deeply personal about the man, but I have strenuous objections to a lot of his philosophies. Um, Adams's description of wild rabbit behaviour were based on The Private Life of the Rabbit, a 1964 book, by British naturalist Ronald Lockley. The two later became friends, embarking on an Antarctic tour that became the subject of a co-authored book, Voyage Through Antarctica. Uh, in 1982. The BBFC passed the film with a U certificate. That means suitable for all ages in America, uh, similar to the MPAA's G rating, deciding that whilst the film may move children emotionally during the film's duration, it could not seriously trouble them once the spell of the story is broken. And a U certificate was therefore quite appropriate. They then took another massive toke on the Campbellwell carrot that Just was being passed say, around. Say, what are you smoking? Very strong skunk, it Good would appear. Lord. However, oh it, no, this is fine. This is fine. However, in 2012, it the was beep- smoking the rabbits. However, in 2012, <laughs> oh, sorry. Second week in a row, let's fire up a Camberwell carrot. In 2012, the BBC admitted that it had received complaints about the suitability of Watership Down at U almost every year since its classification. Now, that just means that could just be one complaint a year uh, for, see, 2012. 34 years. 34 years. That's. A lot of parents complaining about dead rabbits. It's scarily good. I kind of, I totally see where the parents are coming from on this. And honestly... How dare you give this it, a you? My child was traumatised and upset. Well, the point, I completely agree, madam. This the, should be a 12A. It, I, well, I don't know about that. I, yes. I think I would go with PG, personally. But on the grounds that the point of a you for a lot of parents, especially in terms of the home video market, is that you can just leave a kid with it. Exactly, is a PG means parental guidance. You got to like watch it first or sit with them at least. Yeah, a U means fire and forget. You stick that shit on. You wander out of the room. Yeah. So few films that aren't just for kids get given a U. Absolutely. Now there's there's stuff in this that goes beyond the realms of simple um, like animal watching in a a real context so you could argue that there's nothing in here that couldn't potentially be seen in say for example a Richard Attenborough documentary yes Um, and that one where the polar bear basically drowns is highly upsetting for children but the there's the emotional context makes it more upsetting however I don't think there's anything that's so also Richard Attenborough never played bright eyes (laughs) while the fucking polar bear's drowning he totally could have got away with that though and Um, so we put on the boombox with bright eyes <laughs> because we thought it would be appropriate. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the actual... But I couldn't resist as the polar bear slipped beneath the icy waves, sticking on, my heart will go on. <sighs> the, the actual visuals... He wouldn't do that. He's a lovely, lovely man. The actual visuals are not that gory. 
Um, absolute no, no, shit. No, no, no. Absolute Seriously, rot. I, I, I saw it when I was relatively young. She's wrong, folks. And I, you know, it was a little bit traumatic. But I. But think this is fine. We can disagree on stuff. It'll make it more. That's going to be spicy. spicy. <laughs> um, but I. <laughs> I definitely think it, sh- it needs to be at least a PG because the, it needs contextualising. It's the kind of thing that if a child sees that happen, they need to be able to then talk about that to a parent who also knows what's just happened. Okay, Lyra has seen folks at home. She is eight, eight. years old, mm-hmm. nine in August. Yep. She has seen Alien, Robocop, Predator, Kill Bill, Die Hard, From Dust Till Dawn, Deadpool, Rambo, Desperado, The Faculty, Slither, Total Recall, Starship Troopers, Evil Dead 2. And in all cases, I have forwarded over the really bad bits, all the sexual bits. There's just a few, too, like, there's a couple of bits in there, like, especially from Dust Till Dawn, where it's like, yeah, she's not, she, like, no. But uh, for some reason, horrific, deplorable violence is okay. Um, and, and, and the really painful, like, like uh, sadistic bits of any of the, uh, the above. If it's cartoonish violence... That's basically. Yet, ironically, this is cartoon violence and it's more horrendous. I maintain I will not show this to her for a while yet. She's not ready now. No, I agree. And, Lyra and is it's... very soft hearted. She cares about animals. She's okay with Blaine from Predator getting shot in the face by a predator. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, actually, sorry. Um, Matt got shot in the face. Blaine got shot in the chest, right in his MTV. She's okay with, um, you know, Richie getting staked in From Dust Till Dawn. In fact, I think she almost cheered at that point. Um, she's okay so with um, uh, Michael Ironside being dismembered in Total Recall. She's okay. She, in fact, cheered when L Driver got the old eye in Kill Bill. That bit made me wince. Oh, no, it made her wince, but she was, <laughs> yes, because she actually likes Pai Mei. You know, yeah. she, he's a hard old bastard. But she gets that he had taught the bride. Mm. What she, but I can't show her this because it will upset her to her core. Mm. And it's a you. Context, folks. It's too real. It depends on the child. There are other kids yeah, who just don't care. Like, there are other kids who just like tear their wings off of Daddy Longlegs who just laugh at this film because they have no emotional collection to small animals. And I, they're going to be Voldemort. I, I do think if you had concerns about the emotional state of a child um, and you thought that it might possibly be leaning towards... Um, Lack of empathy and violent behaviour. Definitely put them show in them front this. of this and yeah. see how they respond. See if it breaks them open. <laughs> they they crack Possibly. like a pinata and start crying because they don't want the rabbits to die. You know that they're not a psychopath yet. <sighs> anyway, I, I don't know when she's going to be okay to see this. Mm. Frankly, because yeah. I'm still not okay to see this, and I'm 38. Mm. Trauma to real creatures. She doesn't like it at all. Mm. You're and not 38 yet. Forty-eight. I'm thirty-eight. Thirty-six. I am, to all intents and purposes, thirty-eight. You've caught up with me, have you? Nearly. <laughs> it's my fault. I'm aging you before your time. Emotionally speaking, probably not. But you know, my body is uh, is decaying like your a rabbit. Body splitting the difference. <laughs> oh. What we will go into is basically um, a juice to squeeze uh, ratio, which um, I don't really tend to employ with films, but in this case. There's a lot of painful stuff 
And to that end, it has to be balanced with something. Mm. And m- what I will maintain is that Watership Down, as a film, and I'm not going to read the book, but I'm going to go ahead and guess as a book, does not deliver enough juice to the squeeze around the throats of these poor bunnies. Mm. Yeah, no, 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 I concur. In fact, actually, um, a film we saw recently is a good example. I don't literally of... mean bunny juice. We get to see far too much we of do. that, if anything. Yes, um, we uh, saw the fall. The other day, yes. directed by Tarsim, mm-hmm. um, whose earlier film, uh, when he was uh, credited as Tarsim Singh, uh, The Cell, mm-hmm. is one which is most definitely not worth the squeeze. Um, but The Fall, it, it while it drags and um, there are uh, parts of it which are difficult to follow... It's worth it for what you get out of it in the end, yeah. or at least for me, it was. Yeah. Um, so that's that's sort of a good example of where something is hard going, but actually, what I got from it was was definitely worthwhile. Long ago, the great Frith made the world. made all the stars and the world lived among the stars Frith made all the animals and birds and at first made them all the same so we begin at my favorite bit which is the beginning and um, every time I watch Watership Down I go oh I'm gonna really like this because I really love the fable. Fable is for allegory. Fable is to tell a bigger story through a smaller one. It's to uh, simplify a larger concept, especially for children or childlike minds. And uh, they uh, tell the story of the first rabbit and its son, God. Now among the animals was Elafrera, the prince of rabbits. He had many friends, and they all ate grass together. But after a time, the rabbits wandered everywhere, multiplying and eating as they went. It's very biblical in the kind of this sun god creates all the creatures, but he hasn't quite given them their raison d'etre yet. And so these sort of uh, malformed brown creatures are sort of mooping around on the earth doing stuff. And uh, Elephara is, is rude, to the god and acts like he doesn't need any um, uh, help and um, is you know proud and arrogant. So uh, Elephara, um turns all the other creatures in the whole world into predators with sharp teeth and claws and a desperate desire to eat Elephara. And uh, Elephara is given long legs to run with and a, a white fluffy tail to signal to his brethren uh, that danger is near. I love that stuff. I, it's it's like just so stories. Mm. You know, I, Roger I do Kipling. I do love the idea that the rabbits feel so persecuted that at some point in their history they decided that this story was necessary to explain why they were so persecuted. That actually at one one time they were so numerous and successful mm. that basically God had to invent scary stuff to keep them down. Then Frith said to Elafrera, Prince Rabbit, if you cannot control your people. I shall find ways to control them. But Elafrera would not listen and said to Frith, My people are the strongest in the world. This angered Frith, 
so he determined to get the better of Ella Herrera. He gave a present to every animal and bird, making each one different from the rest. Which poses the question, who were Ella Herrera's people if they were all the same? When the fox came, and others like the dog and the cat, hawk and weasel, to each of them, Frith gave a fierce desire to hunt and slay the children of Ella Herrera. Herrera knew that Frith was too clever for him, and he was frightened. He had never before seen the black planet of death. My friend, said Frith, have you seen Ella Herrera? For I wish to give him a gift. No, I, I, I have not seen him. So Frith said, come out, and I will bless you instead. No, I cannot. I am busy. The fox and weasel are coming. If you want to bless me, you'll have to bless my bottom. Very well. Be it so. And Herrera's tail grew shining white and flashed like a star. And his back legs grew long and powerful. And he tore across the hill faster than any creature in the world. The speech uh, that uh, Frith gives, that all the world will be your enemy, Prince with a Thousand Faces, I love that. I love this whole sequence. It's fan-bloody-tastic. I would have been fine with 90 minutes of this. Thank you very much for asking. But it's only about three minutes of this, unfortunately. And that just basically, it lays down, subtly speaking, the religion of these rabbits, or at least the spiritual beliefs uh, although uh, the uh, the writer maintains that, oh, no, they don't worship anyone. They just strongly, firmly believe in this. To which I would question his use of the term worship. worship. Yeah. All the world will be your enemy. Prince with a thousand enemies. And whenever they catch you, they will kill you. But first they must catch you. Digger. Listener. Runner. Prince with the swift warning. Be cunning, but full of tricks, and your people will never be destroyed. Most, most, a lot of people do see religion and myth as very different categories of story. Well, there's a difference, like, as far as worship goes, I believe what he's confusing there is ritual Mm -hmm. versus belief. Yeah, quite possibly. So carry on with what you were saying about mythology, yes. Well, no, that's all I was going to say. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the, the idea that <clears throat> um, religion and myth are, are, as far as I'm concerned, the same thing. Um, it's just that if you bring it into your real everyday life, which the rabbits 
very definitely do. The idea of the the uh, black rabbit that comes to take them away when they die—it's mm. a death of rabbits. It, absolutely, but it's it's very real to them. It's not something that is um, only talked about in stories to the mm. little rabbits. It's a, it's woven into their everyday existence. That is religion. Facets of this ended up in Tiger's Eye. Um, I uh, I never liked this as a kid. But I was, I did have a sort of respect for it and how serious it was and how it treated the uh, rabbits and their situation, their plight, very seriously. And I came into contact with other uh, fiction of its type over the years, anthropomorphic fiction, um, that say, uh, like Mouse Guard takes a, uh, even Bramley Hedge takes a culture and treats it as a sort of, well, Bramley Hedge is much more sort of, oh, fun little country adventure. Mm. But uh, there Wind is... Wind in the Willows. Yeah, Wind in the Willows, another a, a, excellent example. But if there's an actual drama attached to it and these creatures might die, that gives it more weight. And um, not just making it a fun little romp for kids, I, I'd completely get with that. Mm. Uh, and that's Tiger's Eye was clearly brewing in my head for most of my life until I eventually wrote it down. Uh, but uh, the father of passing, as referenced in Tiger's Eye, and their um, worship of uh, the fire lion, who is the sun, and they have a whole pantheon, and one of those um, deities is their conceptual entity of death, clearly derived from this death of rabbits. But I set out to make Tiger's Eye about a lot mm. and to make it applicable to a lot and to allow people to read allegory into as much of it as they wanted. And uh, I you know, freely allow people, you know, I've got stuff that it's about for me and I, I really want other people to, um, to be able to read uh, you know, new things that I hadn't even thought might be applicable here. That way it could keep going on and on and on and be constantly reapplicable to future cultures. Mm. Which is why I take such exception to, well, it's just, just just some stuff. It's just stuff where rabbits do things. You know, don't be reading too much into it. <laughs> well, this, is, uh, to me... It minimises the qualities it, of your own work. It really does. And it, I mean, I... I was... And also, it's incredibly disrespectful of other people's take-home mm. on your work. Yeah. Specific take-homes... Like, well, I, I see this as being, you know, uh, about how we should uh, kill all people of a certain caste... Uh, good Lord, no, sir. Don't take that away from my work. That's not what I meant at all. Mm. Specific take-homes I can see taking umbrage with. But saying, don't read anything into this, mm. bothers me on a fundamental level. Well, Tolkien said that he wanted his work to be applicable to future allegory rather than to tie it very specifically to the Nazis, for mm. example, and the rise of Hitler. So, no, Tolkien actually did play the game of being an author. Mm. As far as I'm concerned, if you say no, there's no allegory in it at all intended. If you intend, if you get anything out of it at all, that's not what I intended. That's not playing the game of being an author. That's irresponsible writing to me. That's just going right. I'm just going to put this out, stick it out there. This is a silly tale I told my children. If it upsets you, that's fine. By all means, write something which is in no way allegorical and doesn't apply to anything in your mind, but definitely allow people to draw parallels of their own. Well, it's, there's a lack of comprehension of what a story is, I think, if you're going to take that perspective. If you write something and it contains, as far as you're concerned, zero allegory whatsoever, here is what that story is basically going to consist of. This person got out of bed, they went into the bathroom, they cleaned their teeth, they walked down the stairs, they put on some clothes, they went to make their breakfast, blah, blah, blah. Even then, I'm pretty sure there are people that could mine some kind of, of metaphorical stance from it. But... 
I understand about the idea of not wanting to be nailed to a particular allegorical post. But it's open to... Once you've written something and you've put it out there, it is open to your readers to take what they want from it. Now, if you look at something like Animal Farm, for example, which was very specifically written with allegorical intent about Stalinism, that's still applicable to just about any situation where you've got a a resolute dictator who goes into something claiming to be there for the purposes of freedom and uh, equality and ends up becoming corrupted by their own sense of power. The number of leaders that you can apply that to is significant. It's not just Stalin. Side note, by the way, this is often paired in double packs with Animal Farm. There was an animated version of that, which Mm. is most definitely a political allegory. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's almost an ill fit if there's nothing in it. Yeah. But but again, it's talking rabbits. It is automatically metaphorical and allegorical. It, you are using rabbits as a stand-in for people. Even at that level, it's metaphorical. Um, from the, the angle that you're not... You're telling a story about uh, a way that these creatures treat each other that will get through the defences of someone who, if you told them a story about how humans might treat each other badly, they might get ridiculously defensive about it and not want to hear. Like, say, explaining slavery by using lions and tigers. Yes, like that too. Because people just like, oh, you're going to talk about slavery now? Blah, 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 I don't want to hear. Mm. Um, so, from that angle, I would say that regardless of what Richard Adams says, frankly, if, if you, can, you can read almost anything as allegory and metaphor, um, and I would say this, to a, a great extent, you can, even if it is simply a representation of how various human communities behave and treat each other. And there are many people who have. I went looking for political interpretations of Watership Down. There are several, from the, the it's anti-utopian and um, uh, military reactionary attitude to the Socialist Review did an interpretation on how it's about, you know, the, the difference between decadent society and a, a fascist society and how actually what they end up going for in the end is kind of a balance where everybody helps each other out, which is this sort of, you know, wonderfully socialist place so you can you can draw from both ends of the scale and that makes it even more evidently allegorical because it can be used to apply to various different perspectives and i i was obviously quite inspired by it as well because um i between this and a book that i read um in my early teens called hunter's moon which is basically a similar sort of thing but with foxes Um, I did a piece for um, my SAT exams when I was 14 about wolves who were sort of working out status situations between them and there were debates between the various parts of the colony. Um, But my teachers gave me a really low grade and said it was ridiculously unrealistic. So Your teachers sucked. Yeah. I can say that right now. But I put them in the same category as Richard Adams. Basically, I don't (laughs) care if you don't want your story reading metaphorically. I'm going (laughs) to... <laughs> it's what we do, folks. It's what we do. It's, it's all he does. <laughs> <laughs> He'll find the meaning. 
Oh, sorry. No, 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 that wasn't you. I'm sticking to the chair because it's so ridiculously hot. In fact, I'm just going to get the blanket because that hurts. It is the middle of the heat wave, folks, uh, in Britain. I am sweating. Oh, Christ, it's hot. We're going to have to go to Orlando just to cool down. (laughs) I think so. Because at least they've got air con there. They have acceptable air conditioning, yes, we don't. And you can't open the windows because it's so hot outside that there is no fresh air to come in. Just The air just sits there. Mm. Anyway, um, this is uh, animated, I'm going to say fairly beautifully, uh, a faithfully reproduced uh, rural England in the 1970s. And since I grew up in rural England in the 1980s, uh, it feels... I mean, I had... Outside my back garden, acres and acres of farmland, which we were allowed to walk through to go on on walks. And um, there were, you know, there was a specific, like, rabbit warren down the end of a nearby field. So I think seeing Watership Down when I was a kid, it was very, like, you know, well, this could happen to those specific rabbits. And so it's very much twinned with my childhood, the, this imagery. It's similar to um, Raymond Briggs' The Snowman. It has a similarly um, uh, beautiful painted style to it. So automatically it's going to evoke a certain melancholy in the uh, uh, people watching who've lived in, uh, in, in that kind of area. Uh, less so people who've grown up in cities. But I don't know, you know, uh, let us know, folks, if, if uh, you uh, uh, come from a very different culture to the one this is um, purporting, and if it affected you in a uh, strong manner, nonetheless, we are interested to know. Because this is a, this did not do fantastically in America, it, it only made three and a bit million, and uh, it did a lot better in, in the UK, Um Apparently they made a 5,000% return on their investment, the people who put the money up for it, but that doesn't make much sense because that would require it to make like $250 million in 1978 money just in England. So uh, um, someone's gotten gotten some some mathematics wrong on that. Uh, But I could believe that they, uh, it made a tidy profit in England because this was big. But I don't know why parents were not dragging their crying children out of the cinema and going, we're not ever going to go back and see that or anything that these guys make again. Like, was it all parents and kids just sitting there watching going, that was ripping, mother. Let's go back and see another. Maybe they'll crush badgers with a tractor. I don't don't get it. The the only way I can imagine um, this being shown is for kids to start off liking it and go, oh, this is good. It's all about talking rabbits at a very young age. And then when they start dying in droves, go, oh, God, no, and end up in floods. And just like, stop, make it stop. And then after an hour, it still hasn't stopped. And it's just going on and on and on. Because these rabbits get tore up. My God. It's not like a horror movie because they're unaware of all the dangers out there. Mm. Imagine a group of people just travelling across the world, like, wandering onto the train tracks and getting crushed by a train. And it's like, well, that that's a horror movie. That's, it's almost more like Final Destination. Like, death wants to kill them. Mm. Although, would I be right in saying that the most horrible things, with the possible exception of one, um, happened to the bad rabbits? No, you would not no? be correct okay. to say that. Fair enough. Yeah. 
Um, there, there are far too many that happen to rabbits you actually care about. Okay. Uh, and, and rabbits that clearly haven't done anything wrong. And in fact, the, the worst rabbit of all, we never get the satisfaction of their death. In fact, if anything, very true. General Woundwort, this fascist bunny who basically became the best bunny by killing all other bunnies. We needed to see him bitten in half. There's almost a reverence for him. It's almost like the people putting this together were like, well, you know, say what you will about General Woundwort. He got the job done. He wasn't afraid. You know, it's like, oh, this guy's a fucking scumbag. This guy's a monster. Well, that yeah, but, you know... He still was wasn't afraid. That would be, I suppose, the the more um, I want to say right wing, but it, the whole point of that bit is that it's kind of fascistic, which is left wing, isn't it? I don't know. I'm not sure. No, I don't. Communism know. I'm is left wing. That's the one. Yes. Um, sorry, I do apologise. There's my my political lack of knowledge showing that. No, no, he's a fascist. Um, or at the very <laughs> least, he's um, uh, an oligarch. Mm, yeah, he's he's rigidly controlling of his people and allegedly maintains his position by the fact that he defends them. Yeah. Um, so basically, he needs to be the biggest baddest rabbit, otherwise his uh, position will slip. Um, but um, but I think. There's, still... there's a very a specific moment when uh, he says there's a transgressor and he says I'll blind him. Yeah. The idea being rather than just killing him, mm. I will blind this rabbit and let him wander around, and everyone will go, "Oh, that poor blind rabbit! What happened to him? He messed he messed with General with General Woundwort." Um, that is very coldly calculating. Yeah, but I don't think that you rated, folks. <laughs> oh, got a. Tall glass of water for this one. Certainly for me, there's no question about Woundwort's um, uh, moral position. It, or, you know, there's no hint of, well, what he did was a means to an end and at least he was protecting everybody. He's utterly insane. What he chooses to do at the end... He screams that is, dogs aren't dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it, His actions are the mark of a complete... Maniac? It, he's He's dissociated from reality. He's forgotten he's a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dog, I'll fucking do ya! That's exactly, basically what that's what he does, yeah. <laughs> are you hard? Are you? Are you hard, are dog? You? Oh, yeah. Well, yes, actually. <laughs> and the dog shat itself and ran. There's even doubts... <laughs> that is entirely possible. There's even doubts that the... The the womb water actually died there. They even cast that into possibility. He becomes a Kaiser Soze figure. We're jumping ahead, but this film's all over the place. It becomes a horrible nightmare dreamscape of rabbits dying. It's really difficult to tell the time in the story because it's just like a, a rabbit dies with no ceremony and it's like, oh, God, that was terrible. Move on to the next farm. Okay, look over here. Oh, Kestrel got him. Uh, move on to the next one. Oh, he got his head cut off by a farmer with an axe. Move on to the next one. Oh, a cat got him. Move on to the next one. Oh, it was a snare this time. Move on to the next one. It's a train. Move on to the next one. He was crushed by a pile driver. Next one, <laughs> send it to outer space. Next one say, in the bag. In Next the bag. one, put it on a spike. <laughs> <laughs> Next one made out of jam. Oh. Oh, there's plenty of rabbit jam in there. It's it's really difficult. Like around about fifty minutes in, I just I'd had my fill. I was like, this film has, as every time it does, beaten me. I don't want to watch anymore, but we have to. Mm. <clears throat> so, I mean, the, the basic premise is that Fiverr is psychic and uh, gets a Cassandra-like vision uh, of, of their uh, their Warren being like, the fields are covered in blood. This is the um, 
the Richard Briers rabbit. And uh, his brother, uh, Hazel, believes him. Uh, Hazel's very um, confident and forthright and determined. Hasn't got, you know, none of these rabbits have got much to their characters. They're very basically drawn. Um, and they don't really have to deal with much because they're rabbits. Do they? I mean, they, they move from one place to the other. Yeah, rabbits it's... die. There's a lot of kind of like, um, there's a lot of sort of military police rabbit stuff going on. But it's like, like, you know, you're either trying to stop us or you're going to help us. And it's about that much. Yeah. And there's, there's actually, complexity. there is quite a sinister um, undertone to this. Which um, makes you not want to have anything to do with rabbits anymore. Is yeah. I, like, well, these right. rabbits are bastards. It's, this is in nowhere explicit in the story. Exactly. This is something that I kind of from from hints and. Well, if comments, you infer, that's entirely all down I'll to you. I'll infer whatever the hell I want, Richard Adams. Um, but basically, you you very rarely see females. Oh when my we lord! When we look at these communities, female representation in this film. But here's the thing. And they, they actually it's kind It's like of, Star Wars they, up in this bitch, but without the Princess Leia. They touch As on in it, pre-new trilogy yeah, Star Wars. They touch on it briefly when Hazel realises that it doesn't matter if they get to this wonderful new place. They don't have any does. Their new Warren is only going to last one generation mm-hmm. if they can't ha- bring females into their uh, colony. Now... All of these uh, communities that they have that are set up with this kind of military-like construction, you don't need a security force unless you are guarding something. And it kind of reads a bit like, where are they keeping all the women in caves down the bottom of the Warren not ever letting any of them out. And obviously it's it's more explicitly stated when they get to Woundwart's colony because that is effectively exactly what he's doing. Because when Heisenthlay wants to leave, he won't let her. And, and, it, and it does kind of imply that the idea here is he will not let any of the, the females leave, particularly because that is a threat to the colony. Heisenthlay is the only female rabbit who has any lines and she mm. says like two things. Played by Hannah Gordon, who is lovely. Yeah, she's she's got a great voice. Could have been a, a key character in this, but isn't. Yeah, I think there there are a couple more female rabbits, but they don't. They hardly say anything at all. Yeah, it's mainly just a bunch of old men. Mm. But I just to go back to this the the intro bit with um, Fiverr's vision. I actually really like that. I like the way they set Fiverr up as as effectively he's a shaman, but yeah. nobody will listen to him apart from Hazel. Mm. Um, but I really like the way his vision is animated because it. It looks terrifying because it does look as though there is blood saturating the fields, but it's set up in a way that he's he's basically just seen the sun go down. That's all it is, is it's sunset. So you're never quite sure whether um, he's it's an, a legitimate vision or whether Fiverr is just terrified of everything because Fiverr is terrified of everything. Mm. Um, but obviously it pans out that bad things actually happen. So he was right even if he didn't know exactly how it was going to happen yeah he was a cassandra bunny Mm. um it also reminds me of uh, i believe the animals of farthing wood was based on this premise as well it was a bunch of different animals who um had to leave their wood because it was going to be destroyed by man and they had it was a animated show that was on british children's tv uh, when i was a kid and that was far less super extreme it was much more about intrepid animals getting into mild peril um, obviously, it had none, none of the cultural impact because it didn't scar people like this did. Um, but you know that that 
uh, the thing I got from that teamwork. You're all different animals. You've all got something to offer to the uh, uh, the team. That that's that is more in line with Tiger's Eye to a degree mm. than Watership Down is. Yeah, although they philosophically do... and uh, politically speaking. Yeah, although they do hint at the whole teamwork thing. But you're right. That is is more uh, visually obvious when you've got a number of different animals who who technically should be enemies in certain circumstances. There is a bit working together. Now that you mention it, at the end where they get the drop on um, uh, the general by basically. Um, herding him using teamwork mm. to um, change the layout of the Warren to get him into this fight with the dog, which is great. But they never attach any real weight to that section. Mm. It's never like finally the rabbits are working together. It's just like then the rabbit, the plucky rabbits had a good idea, mm. which is very much in keeping with uh, it's just a series of events. Plus the fact they do It's undermi- not about anything. There is an undermining of the teamwork concept because when they get to the river and they're trying to work out a way to get across, it's Blackberry who comes up with the idea of using the raft, mm. but Hazel ends up getting the credit and everybody's like, "Right, okay, Hazel's our leader now because Hazel knows what he's talking about." And I'm like, I'm sat there thinking, "Hang on a minute, that was Blackberry's idea." I had Blackberry as a uh, a soft toy. Did it you? used to sit on my Aww. window, so I recognised the sort of the darker yeah, patch on his the head. Plume on his head. Yeah. yeah. Um, they get to this really creepy Warren, um, headed up by this rabbit called Cowslip, who's like, "Please do come into our Warren. Oh, those those are the carrots. They're put down there by the human. Eat your fill of them, if you have as much as you wish." And you may occupy the empty burrows. There are fewer of us here than there used to be. No questions. Ta-ta! And it's like, well, this is fucking creepy and weird. As it turns out, the, uh, um, this entire warren is riven with snares because the farmer is effectively harvesting the rabbits, keeping them down in this wild rabbit cubicle, you know, tossing them a few carrots to keep them alive so that he can basically... Um, Harvest them and eat them. And Cowslip's fine with this. And you drew quite a good parallel there. Yeah, I did. Although having thought about it after the fact, it doesn't quite work because the um, the angle on this setup, in in fact, the voice you chose there is alarmingly appropriate. Let the games Let begin. the games begin. It's, no, the, no, he's not. He's he not hedonism bot. bot. No, he's well, not Jim and his Royston. Royston. He's no, more no. the sort of the shriveled sort of man being afforded a little power because yeah. everyone who had real power has died. Yeah. Absolutely. No, my, my observation was... I was um, thinking more um, those guys in Zardoz. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> Eat of yes. all the green bread you wish. Absolutely. Oh, no. them. They are the insensible ones. I... You may do with them as you wish. <laughs> Run me around, um, brutal. Would you like to say it? The penis is evil. It is, though. Um, carry on. Um, yeah, my, my observation was that they were effectively... Um, uh, working class Tory voters. Nice. Um, the idea being, let's vote the Tories in. They'll make life terrible for everyone. It is better to be by the side of the devil than in his path. Yes. <laughs> Your Benny is also. <laughs> um, but um, I love you, Benny. But yeah, that's that's not a perfect allegory because obviously people who are working class who are under that system would have to work extremely hard and cowslip. That never does a day's work in his life. He just no. sits there and eats what's thrown to him. Yeah. That's why the whole um, 
let the games begin, hedonism bot kind of works. So they don't have to do anything. They're mm. just provided with food. Yeah, absolutely. But the trade-off for this is that they, any one of them could be snared and eaten. We, we assume the farmer is eating them or performing some kind of weird black magic rituals. Is there a country where... Oh, hang on. Is it Dubai where they literally just pay everyone to not work? Uh, Dubai is a city... Um... I want to say Qatar. I could be wrong, but there, there is apparently there is a, um, a Middle Eastern country where they give everybody a citizen's income. Mm-hmm. Um, and they why? Don't. Hang on, we've got to actually because this sh- is this fascinating. requires some research. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally like the principle behind citizens' income. Basically, the idea is you give everybody in the country just enough to live on with uh, no strings attached. And then the idea is if they want more than a basic needs fulfilled life, then they work to uh, increase that. Apparently, they're going to be experimenting with this in the Netherlands. Yeah, they do. I think they do it in. I know. <laughs> that's, that's rather a, a, a leading title. The Netherlands upcoming money, money for nothing. nothing experiment. You can tell what attitude they have to that in this country, but they, I think they do it in. I think they do it in Finland as well. But it's it's for different reasons. There, the idea is basically that way. Nobody in your country is going to starve. Everybody is going to have enough for their basic needs. Mm. Um, which, like I said, in in principle, is is something I'm very behind the idea of. I would like any any system that is in favour of making sure people don't just drop off the bottom and are forgotten on the streets. Or it would be very kind of you to just die so that we can, you know, wash you away. Uh, any system that might counter that in some capacity uh, without basically fucking with everything... Um, is worth a try, at least. Mm, Yeah. Well, on the argument of the whole Maslow's hierarchy of needs thing, there is a bottom level of, like, food, shelter, water that's clean, basic sanitation. Enough heat At the moment, we are not getting provided with the uh, basic human temperature to live. Well, that's the thing. My Cornetto caught fire. (laughs) I've broken her. It's the Sorry. heat that done it. I just I just had this vision of you with a little strawberry cornetto that suddenly turned into an Olympic torch. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, proceed. Anyway, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you yes. were saying. Um, oh, yes. you're all inferring. This is just a bunch of little rabbits. Mm, indeed. Going but no, no, if you basically if you're going to have, as far as I'm concerned, a successful community and, uh, you know, one that actually feels like it's bonded together and people care about each other, there shouldn't be anybody who is below that basic level of having their needs met. And we can worry about some people getting further up that ladder once we've made sure no one's actually going to die because they haven't got enough food or it's too cold and they don't have the ability to keep themselves warm. Were he alive and able to listen to this, this podcast would infuriate Richard Adams. He'd be like, all this political blah, blah, blah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. (laughs) He'd hate that. Um, So, 
around about this time, there's a pushback to the Warren. Like, all the rabbits are like, you know, this, like, one of their number gets horribly snared and is choking to death and there's blood coming out of his mouth. This made it to the poster. And there was some deliberation as to whether the poster might be too upsetting to show a rabbit in silhouette choking to death on a snare. What is everyone smoking? Okay, right, this is coming. This, right, this, these are the views of adults who don't know what it's like to be a child anymore. They've fucking forgotten. They've just like, oh, a cute little bunny, that might be appealing to... Like, kids find soft little bunnies to be really, like, something you want to protect. And, and, like, you know, there's rougher kids who might hurt them more in their playfulness... But the only ones who actively want to cause them harm are, like, you know, already wrong-uns. If you're seeing a small furry animal in pain on the poster, of course that's going to immediately evoke feelings of, I don't want to watch that. So there's probably a reason why it only made three and a bit million in America, you mentalists! Anyway... It was actually not 50 minutes in, it was 38 minutes in, and I identified the exact point that I was done with the film. It's when they're thinking about going back to their Warren, and then one of their previous number turns up. I think it might be Violet. Holly. Holly. Violet's dead. Violet got taken away by a Oh, Violet got all kinds of hawked. Um, And Holly turns up and goes, oh, he's like, you know, been bitten, scratched. And and he he starts talking about what happened to the rabbits back in the uh, Warren. Ah, no, I was wrong about that. Sorry, I misinterpreted that bit. Basically, Holly was the only one who got away from their old Warren alive. Everybody else got killed. The wound warts uh, Warren, um, which is called Ephrafar, is where Holly went next. I know. Okay. So... Holly uh, recounts the tale of what happened back at their original Warren, and it's like that they get the, it's getting filled in with earth, and so the rabbits are freaking out and panicking underground, and they're suffocating, and we're getting to see the rabbits suffocating in painstaking stylized detail. Um, and then they get gassed. He mentions that the air turned bad, but they also would have pumped in gas, which evokes the secret of Nim, the book, not the film, and. Um, Actually, it was Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, the book, not the film. The book that made me cry my ass off. I, I just, I went downstairs to my mother, just sobbing, and I just, I felt like absolute crap. And um, she gave me because I'd cried so much, I had a headache. So she gave me half a paracetamol, um, which I crunched, and it was so incredibly bitter that I puked on the carpet. So cheers, oh Mrs. Frisbee God. writer. Talk about cementing trauma. I loved that book. That's the one about the mice that escaped from the um, experimentation lab, isn't it? They're rats. They're the rats of Nim. Timothy is a mouse. But you're right. The bulk of the cast are rats. I was merely trying to cover my own ass there. <laughs> Wikipedia will make sure that all asses are uncovered. Indeed, the internet itself will make sure that all asses are uncovered. Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim is a 1971 children's book uh, by Robert C. O'Brien with illustrations. By yeah, Robert there you Mark. go. Frisbee and Timothy are mice. Yeah. But the others are all rats. Now, I wonder if this person would have been fine with allegory. The work was inspired by research in Dr. John B. Calhoun on mice and rat population dynamics at the National Institute of Mental Health from the 1940s to the 1960s. Oh, that would explain why I liked it so much. <sighs> Literature is so dry. It's always inspired by another book. No, it's never inspired by The Terminator, which is what my books 
God's sake. Well, this was inspired by a series of essays on rat populations. It could be argued that that's because film is a progression of literature. I know. And we're talking about, you know, the... This my literature is being crushed by ten thousand other authors uh, upon the shoulders of all of these um, writers who've come before. I do respect that, but I also reserve the right to be facetious. Of course, um, that's the point. That's why people are listening. Indeed. So yeah, thirty-eight minutes in, and these rabbits are being gassed, and their eyes go bug-eyed and red, and they're like, ah, and they're all choking to death. And I'm like, I'm done. And like, if it was a yogurt, I just would have just gone, and we're done with a yogurt, and just like put it down. But unfortunately, I had to carry on watching because Jameis paid us, and um, it was hard. I got to tell you, folks, we're we're only just over one third in, and I am so fucking done with rabbit death, and we're watching. We're at ground zero for rabbit death in terms of films. There isn't another film on this planet where more rabbits die. More rabbits than this. Unless there were rabbits on Alderaan. Good point. Yeah. But like I say, ground zero. Oh, Mad Max. They have lots and lots and lots of rabbits in Australia. They had to introduce myxomatosis to keep the rabbit population down. So by Mad Max, so many rabbits are dead. I am sorry, Sharon, but you are not... Taking into account the camp of rogue rabbits that are right next to Immortan Joe's Citadel, run by Immortan Doe, who's this <laughs> female rabbit with a giant Mohican, and she's got like a rat skull on her face. <laughs> Do not, my friends, become addicted to carrots. <laughs> and they're chasing a slaver and pack of shrews after you. Uh, which are all drawing these sort of uh, tricycles. And uh, that that was um, Mad Mixomatosis, they call it. Mad Max Beyond Thumperdome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. <coughs> Rodent warrior. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, basically, they find the new. Uh, they like after a little bit of searching. After they they decide they can't go back, they find Watership Down. It's great. Then they decide that they can't go on because their generation will be capped because they have no does. Then they go and get the does back by cheating uh, General Woundwort and tricking him into fighting a dog who just runs around the. It goes fucking shit nuts. It's like killing a rabbit, killing a rabbit, killing. A, oh, it's like oh, brilliant. Because I haven't seen that enough times already. Cheers it for that. It is a very unpleasant dog. Yeah, this thing is terrifying. Um, so, and then General Woundwort leaps up Matrix style to to take on the dog. Oh, fucking blind you, sunshine! Tell me you didn't hear the six million dollar man. I did. And uh, right, we haven't mentioned, however, that uh, at one point, slightly, bef- slightly before this, um, Hazel, John Hurt's rabbit, goes to a farm to investigate. I think they're trying to let out some of the other rabbits who are on the farm. Yeah, the the farm that they come through, I can't think what it's called, but um, basically there's a little girl who lives there who keeps some rabbits in hutches, and they just happen to be girl rabbits. Um, so Hazel's first idea is that they're going to go and free the rabbits from there, 
um, and see if they want to join the colony. Mm. And that's what puts them in first contact with this dog that then they decide to free so mm. that it can come and kill Woundwort for them. But in the process of actually that investigation, uh, Hazel gets shot with a shotgun. So you're like, well, everyone else has died, so Hazel's dead too now. That's just fucking brilliant. And Fiverr, um, seeing as he has psychic powers, senses that Hazel is uh, uh, dying and uh, meets the rabbit of death, the black rabbit. And that's when Bright Eyes plays. And it's got this beautiful, like, shadowy rabbit leading him across the countryside. And um, it's a it's a really, really well-played moment that when he finally finds... Hazel, he's alive, and you've pretty much shed all of your tears for him at this point. You've kind of like throughout the song accepted his death, which is weird because then it's like, oh, he was alive, and then here's a comedy Russian seagull turning up. He's like, ah, Kaiser, like the weakest part of the film because it's like, what is the point of this thing? And it just goes, ah, stupid rabbit, and um, he teaches them about picking out the black rocks to, uh, you know, remove the buckshot from the rabbit to make sure that he, he uh, survives. And uh, Hazel's like, oh, well, that was a little, that was a close one. Now carry on. And it was like, I seriously. Hazel I, heals really fast. He heals really fast. <laughs> he has no new philosophy on life as a result of this. There's no development in the film, aside from the fact that Fiverr saved Hazel and they thus get to carry on. All of your kind of Marvel wanting this to be a story where characters have arcs, that's all for shit. It's not that kind of story. They don't have arcs. It's just a series of events, kids. That's the best part of the movie and the most powerful. And it's almost throwaway in comparison to the rest of it. And then the seagull fucks off again. It's like, right, well, cheers. We we lost our air superiority. Um... Oh, now I'm wondering why he wasn't wearing a little pilot's hat with goggles. Yeah, he's part of the Rescue Rangers, the Rescue Aid Society. Um, so, yeah, like I said, then the dog goes shit nuts because uh, they lure him back and um, he fights Woundwort. And then there's a lengthy thing about rabbits would tell their children who wouldn't go to bed uh, that uh, Kaiser Soze would get them. Uh, such was Woundwort's monument. It's a great little thing. And then it cuts to an incredibly old Hazel, who's probably about one year old in rabbit terms by now. And um, then there's this really genuinely tear-jerking moment where the death of rabbits communicates with him directly and, and gently. Hmm. It lies calm and easy in the red sky. Anna and his children and his children's children come out of their holes and feed and play in his sight. For they are his friends. And he has passed. Leads him in. Mm, motherfucker. Leads him into the app. <clears throat> Hazel. Leads him into the rabbit afterlife, which is like. You know me, don't you? I don't. Yes, my lord. I know you. I've come to ask if you would like to join my afterlife. We should be glad to have you. And I know you'd like it. You've been feeling tired, haven't you? If you're ready, we might go along now. You needn't worry about them. They'll be alright. And thousands like them. If you come along, I'll show you what I mean. A 
like it's the, it's the same sequence again. But the thing that's really problematic here is that you've gone from wound wart jumping in, like you're still reeling from wound wart taking on a dog one on one, and there is no sense of time passing. It just goes duh, duh, and then cut to some rabbits on a hill, and you know that it's later, but only in the abstract. And as a kid, you definitely don't know that it, there's it's, no real sense of time yeah, passing. It's not made massively clear because because the whole point is that nothing in Watership Down changes, and the um, the filmmakers actually said this. They went back to the place where they'd filmed it, hmm. or not where they'd filmed it. Sorry, that it was based on, and it's still the same. It hadn't changed, um, but. Um, but I think, you know, they do do a whole, I came back months later, later and, and she, she was, was dead. dead. You know, they say this is years later and the colony's now been established. Hmm. Um, but uh, It's a nice throwaway line. Like, that island is deserted, so it's all right for us to destroy it. Hmm. Um, was it the fact that it was John Hurt? That's what got me. It might have been the fact that it was John Hurt. But they never deal with Fiverr at that point. You don't like... No. You, Fiverr could have been eaten by a cat in the meantime. <laughs> it's entirely There's, feasible. This is how you do it, folks. When you're animating for children, you show that life goes on in a very specific sense. You have Fiverr with his children. Mm. And so just, just to illustrate that life has a cyclical nature to it. Just so that people can go away and go, well, that was right. That was a natural death. But what they do is just go, you know what? You can keep running, but death is eventually going to get you. See ya! The end. And it's a it's sort of a, a lovely natural death, but because you've had no sense of time and you've got no sense of, of, uh, of life itself, um, it comes off as jarringly harsh. Mm. It's, it's grabbing kids by their hair and sh- going, look! reality in the face and lick it and then just walking off and not taking any responsibility for them it's kind of appalling frankly i can can see where you're coming from i mean they they do kind of they they have the the death of rabbits or the the black rabbit actually does say to hazel you know the colony is going to be fine but but really you're absolutely right what we needed to see was basically hazel maybe spending a day with his grandchildren before this then happened I mean, it's it's twee to have him like you know recounting the story of when we fled our warren, but that's the natural that's way doing, of yeah. doing the storytelling that allows people to accept this. It's so like you know it doesn't always have to be like that, but when you're dealing with kids, there are certain protocols that it's advisable to follow with mm. storytelling. Especially. One of them being allegory is quite good. The other one being. Don't fuck with their existential sense of themselves. Yeah, at that age, risky business. Um, but particularly since, again, listening to the, the uh, director talking about how, well, at the time, all there was was Disney and they were doing all of this sort of ridiculous... You had your comedy sidekick and you had your, your sort of happy ever after kind of moral endings. And I'm sat there thinking, yeah, and who's still around making movies? Who just made Moana? Bich. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. You're welcome. You're welcome. But no, yeah, the, if you if you watch the extras, the um 
the, the, the crew involved with it are sort of, oh, yeah, I was, uh, I was the one uh, uh, animating the wall. I say animating. I was just sort of drawing a wall. It was very you know, nicely textured, and I got to hang around in the actual countryside area that we were in. And uh, I, I was the one who was uh, animating the rabbit that was caught in the snare. So I had to animate all the blood coming out of its mouth. And uh, I was told that some children were quite upset by that. I don't really see the point myself. But um, it's so British. When they're talking about it, it's like Spinal Tap going, yeah, we were originally the Originals, and then uh, they were, there was a, another band called The Originals. We changed our name to The New Originals. Uh, but then after that, we became The Lovely Lads. And it's, it's so matter-of-fact, so cup-of-tea, so, you know, actually, a funny thing was, um, we actually animated it mostly on the house on Warren Street. And uh, we had... Such a laugh talking about that, and you know, we we would uh, mention that to our uh, our families. What? I just had a thought. My thing about they were keeping all the women in a basement. Yeah. They did. The paint. They, they kept referring to them as the paint and tra- was it paint and trace girls? And paint and trace. They girls, were talking. Yeah. The, the the animators were talking about how they were. Well, we were the men doing animation. Team, yeah. And there were there were no girls, and then they they brought because there was some overlap between the first phase and the second phase. They then started going down into the basement to like hang out with all of these paint and trace girls. And we would leave them some carrots. <laughs> Bit of a joke that was. They thought and it then was set very up funny. Stairs at the back door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, Gina did get caught in a snare one time. It was supposed to be a joke. She didn't laugh, but we had a bloody good time. Oh, my God. The long winter evenings must just, just fly, fly by. by. So, yeah, I mean, they're talking in this incredibly offhand way about something which clearly, you know, meant a lot more to other people watching the film than them making the film, which is rare, and that's odd. It's it's rare that you get people so disinterested and uninvolved in their own film. I made some art by accident. Also, what is it about like like independent animators that are snooty about Disney? It's like at least show some respect for the craft. It's the same as um uh, Richard, what's his name? Rich, Williams. Richard Williams. He was like, well, it's not going to be a Disney film. Mm. No, oh, it's those not. Those are successful. Disney films get finished. <laughs> <laughs> Sooner or later. If you strongly disagree with us, folks, and you really, really did like Watership Down, uh, especially if you didn't see it when you were kids, but you did see it when you were adults, and you found a lot in there that isn't simply based on your nostalgia... You might want to check out Plague Dogs as well, which is from the same production company. If you watched Watership Down, then you know how messed up it is. This movie is basically that with dogs. The same filming studio, voice actors, and directors all worked on this adaptation, called The Plague Dogs. The first scene in this movie shows a dog drowning and its motionless body settling at the bottom. Wow, way to start a movie, huh? Anyways, if for some horrid reason you decide to keep watching, you'll see a scene where a hunter calls a dog and it starts running for him. He puts a shotgun down right before the dog leaps into his lap, but in the process the dog's paw pulls the trigger and shoots the hunter in the face. It then shows him covering his eyes in pain, blood dripping everywhere, and pieces of his face scattered all over the dog's fur. After the dog sees this, it flees in terror, and then the guy is never mentioned again in the movie and his death has nothing to do with the plot. It's like they just said, you know what would be great? Putting a scene where some random dude gets his face blown off with a double barrel. Anyway, here is my final take on this film. 
It was not worth hurting so many rabbits. This is the juice to squeeze thing again. That's not entertaining for kids. Nor is it engaging. You don't have to make it entertaining, but you do need to make it engaging. And if you're dealing with kids, you also do kind of have to make it entertaining in some capacity. Adults are the ones who have the patience to watch something that's engaging but not entertaining. You can't show a child Rabbit Schindler's List, although that's what this is. And what's going on, here's the thing, isn't complex enough to make it long-eared Game of Thrones, which is what it comes off as. You're not going to get adults watching this and going, oh, this is, like, fantastic, I just love the characters, because there's barely anything to them. It's it's not complex, so adults aren't going to like it, kids are going to be freaked out by it. Who are you making happy? People who saw Watership Down when they were kids. Mm. It's literally it. I get That nature is red in tooth and claw. I get that totally. But this pushes that sensibility so far that children would experience a state of existential dread. What this film says over and over with its cruelty is that we are all idiots at the mercy of pure chaos. At our best, if we are psychic, we might escape the bigger catastrophes. But something is eventually going to get us. And... There is nowhere near enough happiness or reassuring life within its frame to balance that horrifying Lovecraftian fact out. I am fine with that being the eventual take-home. Eventually, you're going to die. That is Harry Potter. Eventually, you're going to die. Accepting that makes you much bigger than the men who won't accept that they're going to die. That's Harry's victory over Voldemort. He no longer feared death. But there there was so much to balance that in Harry Potter. All of that darkness in the last few books was balanced by all of that light in the first few. And that's why so many kids got upset. That's why the B- what the BBFC failed to grasp. It's not a story about rabbits. It's a story about us. To kids, inescapably, who haven't heard that the authors told them not to interpret it in that way. And that's the thing, like... They're not, even, they're not even old enough to really comprehend that they're thinking that it's about us. But on some level, they get that. And because of what we're seeing, what does that say about us? So the kids were disturbed on two levels. One, unfathomable sense of powerlessness against the unstoppable force of death. And the other, a much softer emotional connection with furry creatures that get caught, eviscerated, squashed, bitten, choked, gassed, blinded, and eaten by dogs. Oh, and finally just dying of old age in reassuringly painless fashion, but in a scene so abruptly bolted on that you get no sense of time that passed in between. The irresponsible level of aloofness in the production team, their sheer unawareness as to how upsetting so much of this punishing ordeal would be and indeed has been on generations is only the second most infuriating aspect of this production for me you can guess the first writer richard adams belligerently maintaining that this was a story about nothing it was about what it was about rabbits escaping death and some of them succeeding but only for a time there are some writers who use subtext and they're all cowards to richard adams This isn't the political and religious allegory that so many have found it to be. All that insight they gleaned about mankind and the way we treat one another is entirely inferred by them. None of it is intentional, none of it is deep, none of it is subtextual. This is simply the assembled notes from stories he made up to amuse his girls in the late 60s while driving in a car. Well, I say fine. I won't read anything into it. If you hate allegory that much, Mr. Adams, I will respect your position. So this is an account of rabbits going from A to B and dying. (laughs) 
I, I would say that a lot of it, and, and again, this is where the whole, I, I stuff Richard Adams, I'll, I'll read into all sorts of things exactly what I want to, and anybody who tells me I can't can go whistle. Um, but um, You can go whistle, sir. Indeed. Uh, and other <laughs> antiquated phrases. Yes, including all of those teachers who told me I was wrong about how I interpreted a poem. That's going to sting me for years. They can run away faster than that time you played stickball behind old man Wiggledy's sweet shop. <laughs> Um, I, 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 I can't say I enjoy this film. I think it doesn't hurt me anywhere near as much as it hurts you. I think a lot of that is because I don't... Uh, because of how intensely you feel things, I think you tend to... You, I, I can completely see what you mean about needing something really bright to balance out all of that darkness. Um, I think for me, what what light there was is kind of enough. It is. It does still leave it very much that the world is a very chaotic and dark place, um, and there's not a great deal that will keep you going through that. But for me, just that idea of the colony does continue and they do carry on was was kind of enough. Um, but you're absolutely right about the, the total lack of character. You, you do connect with the rabbits um, sort of on a, a, a low individual level, but they don't really go to any great length to engage you with any of them, particularly apart from Hazel Fiverr and Bigwig, really. Um and even them, like we you say, any, that's the first time no, we've named Bigwig. Yeah, there's there's no real arc. I mean, really, the the most significant. Tell me one thing, thing about Blackberry. The mo- well, exactly, apart from the fact that he comes up with the idea for the raft and never gets the credit for it. Um, Tell me one thing about Pipkin. I don't know which one Pipkin was. Well, my personal favourite thing to animate was Pipkin. I mean, he's totally insignificant to the entire film, but he was my personal favourite. I don't know who that I is. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Um, but I think the, for me, the most significant thing about Bigwig was actually to do with how Wound War responds to him. Because Bigwig infiltrates um, Ephrafar and pretends to, to join them so that he can effectively get the, the other rabbits out when they want to escape. I'll blind um, him! But there's this, there's this, again, and it's so throwaway. But when, Big, when um, Wound War gets to Watership Down, um, he's fighting Bigwig in the tunnel. And Bigwig says to him that his chief has told him to defend the run, so that's what he's going to do. And Woundwar is baffled by this because he assumed Bigwig was the chief. Because Bigwig is the big tough one with all the, the strength and the muscle and the throw himself at the enemy. Does Bigwig die there, by the way? No. I've, no? No. He gets severely hurt, but he doesn't die. Doesn't he? You I sure? I think so. You don't think so? See, I think it just went very, very quickly from Woundwart slashing Bigwig to the ground, tearing him to pieces. Yeah, they they do hurt each other quite severely. It's very vague. As a film, it's very vague. Yeah, but yeah, just I I that kind of shed more on Woundwart's character for me than than Bigwig. So, in response to everything I just said, your your response is a very wordy version of it was fine for me. Because there'll be plenty of people who are saying exactly that and um, direct all of that stuff to Sharon. <laughs> it was also fine for me, Sharon. Anything else? No, no, I don't think so. Not without going all the way back through and there's no need. Is there anything? No? Any little detail you liked? No. Got some notes about rabbits in there, have you? 
Could a rabbit caught in a snare? Hmm? Rabbit shot in the face? Rabbit savaged by a dog? Rabbit pinned to the ground by a sadistic cat? Hmm? Hmm? Could a rabbit crush by a car, have you? Rabbit we'll squashed under a falling anvil? <laughs> yeah, I look forward um, to hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bit where they're about to um, cross the river and Blackberry comes up with the idea of using the raft. Um, Could this whole film have been prevented by the, these rabbits just maintaining very loudly at this uh, the beginning, duck season? <laughs> I don't think so. They could have convinced the developers to build the block of flats in a pond, maybe. Mm. That, that would have been a way forward. Um, but um, when they're trying to work out how to get everybody across the river, part of the point is that some of their number are little and weak and aren't going to be able to swim over. And Bigwig's attitude is basically like, right, everybody who can swim, swim for it. Everybody who can't, moving on. <laughs> He's like, literally, no, they're just, they're, they, they will have to do the best they can, I think he says. And it's basically like, right, the weak and feeble are just Sodom. Um, so and he's those, those big brutish ones in Disney's dinosaur who are like, yeah. all the sick and the elderly can walk at the back and Absolutely. they can be picked off yeah, by predators. we don't do Disney movies. Oh, really? Don't you? Um, but um, yeah, You do Hazel's- the worst Disney movie, Disney's dinosaur. <laughs> Hazel's the one who is adamant that they, they all decided to get into this together and, um, and they're going to get out of it together. So uh, that's why he ends up becoming the de facto chief because he is there for all the rabbits and not just for the strong. Teresa. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I just realised I subtitled my notes The Great Rabbit Revolution of 1978. And now I find myself wishing that the English countryside had actually seen a rabbit revolution in 1978. Mm. Okay, so we hope, Jameis, that that has... Uh adequately summed up I think frankly we did better than most people who love this film at summing up the, uh, the the qualities of it and also it's many many shortcomings mm, yeah there is one more thing that I've just remembered and it's tiny but it was such a small detail that I loved and I don't know if this is deliberate but the uh, at the beginning when um, Hazel is trying to find some colt's foot to eat and he gets he wants to get Fiverr to find some because apparently Fiverr is good at finding the colt's foot which is more tasty than just your average grass um, but there doesn't seem to be any it's a very rare treat and then when they go down into the tunnel the chief rabbit who is huge and fat and takes up the entire tunnel and seems like somebody who never yeah, does is that the anything. Nigel Hawthorne rabbit the, at the very beginning yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's the one he's eating colt's foot that somebody has clearly brought down into the tunnel for him you're eating bloody colt's foot <laughs> hazel the rabbit you are fined one carrot for use of profanity so there you go if you become a chief rabbit you get all the good stuff to eat uh, okay you can stop talking about dead rabbits now when you ask us to do one of these folks do consider whether or not it might upset us That's all I'll ask. Maybe check with us first. (laughs) Okay. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's School's Out. Out. Is it a kind of dream Floating out on the tide Following the river of death down Oh, is it a dream? There's a fog along the horizon.
Suddenly burn so pale, bright eyes. 